Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Genocide Joe Biden was giving out Halloween treats at the White House last night. Antony Blinken came dressed as a Ukrainian flag. He brought his son with him dressed as Zelensky. Well, a Zelensky will always get treats at the American taxpayer's expense from Joe Biden. Meanwhile, Time magazine that had Zelensky as their man of the year this week depicts him as wandering the corridors of power in Kiev, utterly delusional, with no one left believing in his cause except himself. And the Financial Times debunks the whole canard that the resistance in Gaza has something to do with ISIS. No, says the Financial Times. Hamas are more Viet Cong than ISIS. I wonder what happened to the Viet Cong in their struggle. And the Financial Times is backing a ceasefire in Gaza. So is the Pope. So is the overwhelming majority of public opinion just about everywhere in the world, but not where it counts, in the chanceries, in the government headquarters, in the presidential palaces. It's genocide as usual. Oh, and World War III starts at dawn on Friday morning. Listen up for more. This is going to be the mother of all talk shows. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. In times to come, people will write not just PhD theses, not just books, but whole courses in schools and universities will study just the extraordinary ease with which the establishment in your country and mine managed to wheel the best part of a whole population, first on the virus that dare not speak its name for fear of algorithmic interference in this broadcast and its audience, with uh, the entire focus of the mass media on a virus and a prescription as to how to deal with that virus how the page was turned so comprehensively that no one talked about the virus anymore because everyone had moved on to the next thing. The next thing was the Ukraine. Do you remember all the lights, blue and yellow? You remember the corner flags at football matches, blue and yellow? You remember the, uh, the vigils and all the paraphernalia of collection, the state propaganda on a hitherto unforeseen level uh, behind a narrative about a conflict in which far, far away two other countries were locked in combat. 
everyone had to worship at the altar of the Ukraine and of President Zelensky. The ease with which it was done was simply awesome for someone like me, long experienced in political communications and the difficult task of put pushing boulders uphill uh, for almost all of my life on almost everything that I have fought for and believed in. The tremendous choreography of it all was dispassionately something to wonder at. And then how quickly that page two was turned. Zelensky became a forgotten man, the Ukraine a forgotten conflict, as four weeks ago only, the entire world was turned to face the issue of Gaza, the Palestinians, and the state of Israel. Another foreign country, another clash uh, between foreigners in two foreign countries, Palestine and Israel, suddenly became not just an article of faith for the faithful, but became an existential issue for Western countries, just as the Ukraine had earlier been painted as one, as the virus, in turn, had been painted as one. Now it is existential for us to strain every might and main, to give every dollar we can, send every weapon we have left, and now send our own service personnel into harm's way in the Eastern Mediterranean, and indeed in the case of the US Delta Force, at least literally into the fighting in Gaza. And it's said that there's a D notice on the British media asking them not to mention the fact that British special forces, it's been said the SAS, are actually fighting in Gaza. How did all of this happen? And happen with such ease and such overwhelming propaganda power. As someone who has been fighting the Palestinian corner for more than 50 years of my life, again, I have to take my hat off at the skill with which the British establishment has convinced a big section of the British population, that a group of people who, in the lifetime of many of you watching this show now, not ancient history, murdered British soldiers, hanging them by piano wire in the orange groves of Yaffa, blowing them to pieces in the King David Hotel, almost 100 of them, in one single terrorist attack. How a group of people who tried multiple times to murder Winston Churchill when he was fighting Adolf Hitler, who tried to blow up parliament and came closer than Guy Fox was able to do, who tried to blow up the foreign office and were stymied only by the sharp eyes of a Spitfire pilot from the Royal Air Force who spotted the threat. A group of people who murdered in cold blood on the street the special envoy of the United Nations, Count Bernadotte of Sweden. A group of people who murdered a man from the House of Lords 
Lord Moin, a group of people, the Jabotinsky, Begin, Shamir, Netanyahu gang, that you would have thought would have been anathema to the British establishment, British political public opinion. By the way, you know that the royal family never once went to Israel until just a few years ago when the Doltish, now King Charles, actually visited the King David Hotel, where all those British people had been slaughtered by the political movement now in power in the state of Israel. You think it would be a tough ask to persuade British people that this was the gang of killers that we needed to get behind. But it appears to have what? You get sacked from your job for tweeting support for a ceasefire. The BBC Joe Coburn tells you that the whole of the Jewish community in Britain is made anxious and fearful by people in a railway station in London demanding a ceasefire in a murderous, genocidal frenzy of violence. She forgot to mention that actually almost all the people in the railway station protesting for a ceasefire were themselves Jewish. The BBC gets to speak for Jewish people, you see. And the thousands of Jews in Britain and America denouncing Netanyahu and this murder spree are not allowed to speak at all. They are airbrushed from the picture. The British Home Secretary, that's the Minister of the Interior, very powerful minister in Britain, a woman called Suella Braverman, tells us with no hint of conflict of interest that her husband is an ardent Zionist and close family members of her are fighting now in Gaza with the Israel Defense Force. She maybe should have said so when she declared it a crime to wear or wave a Palestinian flag on the streets of London. Maybe she should have said that somebody else should have announced that henceforth wearing a kafiyah, as hundreds of thousands of young people do in the United Kingdom, could now get you arrested as some kind of manifestation of hate. Now, that's a measure of how the British state, its broadcaster, every single one of its newspapers, especially the rancid rag called The Guardian, that once built an audience on its sensibility to the Palestinian feelings, Palestinian suffering, Palestinian history has now wheeled and turned and is now firmly in the Netanyahu camp like every other British newspaper. It's quite a performance. If you're a recording artist, 
you'll be cancelled if you breathe a word of sympathy for the Palestinian people who are, as I speak, on the receiving end of a genocidal mass murder of a kind not seen since the Second World War, not seen since the uprising of the Jews in the Warsaw Ghetto who decided that they could no longer breathe under this Nazi persecution, murder, hunger, thirst, and with no medicine or medical care to take care of them when they fell. The Jews decided that because they could not breathe, they must revolt and wrote their name into history as the bravest, most magnificent humans, mensch, who would rather die on their feet than to live on their knees. The same thing happened in Treblinka. Same thing happened in Auschwitz. Jewish heroes who could not breathe chose instead to revolt. That's what the Palestinians did on October the 7th. Their fighters, not ISIS, but in the words of the Financial Times, more Viet Cong than ISIS, broke out of their concentration camp, revolted because they could not breathe. And now 10,000 Palestinians lay slaughtered on the bitter earth of the Gaza Strip, 25 square kilometers. More explosive power has been dropped on them in four weeks than was dropped on Hiroshima in the nuclear attack in August of 1945. The only difference being Hiroshima was 10 times bigger and you could, if you were quick enough, actually run away from Hiroshima, from Gaza. There is no escape. A Hiroshima has been dropped on a land where more than half of the people are children. Half of the people are women. Half of the people are children. And nearly 70% of those who have been slaughtered have been women and children. Sometimes a two for one. If you murder a pregnant woman and they have to cut the fetus from the dead mother, most likely you'll have got two for the price of one. The digital spokesman of Benjamin Netanyahu published online a picture of a row of dead babies. And the words that he spoke should chill your blood. We have done the world a service, he said, in destroying these little ticking time bombs. 
who would have grown up to be a threat to the whole world. That's the spokesman of the Israeli Prime Minister. If you go beneath to the TikTokers and the common man and woman, 83% of whom are in full support of the complete extermination of the Palestinian population in Gaza. God bless the 17% who are not. If you go underneath the stones, the rocks, and see the racist, genocidal filth which oozes, trust me, I look at it so you don't have to. Because you lose your faith in the human race, that I promise you, if you dig as deep as I have been digging this last few weeks. Anyway, it's about to take a very dramatic turn. Following the double genocidal attack on a camp called Jabalia, which I first visited in 1980, long before anything called Hamas ever existed. I came home so filled with my pride in the nobility, dignity, steadfastness and resistance of the Jabalia camp, I actually called my house Jabalia when I got home. Please don't carpet bomb it, an entirely innocent family live in it now and have no doubt changed its name. Then the Israelis occupied the Jabalia camp. I came upon with a United Nations official driving me I came upon, on a later date, when I was a member of Parliament, I spoke about it in Parliament, you can check it. I came upon a group of Palestinian women in Jabalia camp being forced to clean the road with toothbrushes on their knees, being forced by heavily armed Israeli soldiers, Druze soldiers, border guards they were called, forcing a large group of women to sweep the road with toothbrushes. And suddenly, me, a British member of parliament, and my colleague from the United Nations itself, I still remember him, looked like Anthony Quinn, we stood there, and the Israeli troops didn't give a damn that we were watching it. Anyway, it was the last straw. The, the double genocidal attack on a refugee camp in which now hundreds have been killed and hundreds maimed on a refugee camp it was the last straw. If Israel does not cease fire by dawn on Friday, 
the world, my world, your world, our world will be on fire. At dawn on Friday, all kinds of people are going to join the war. And if the American aircraft carriers and warships and the British warships and the French and the Dutch, for God's sake, who knew the Dutch had a navy, marines, who knew if they joined in defense of Netanyahu's apartheid state, then the world will be at war. From all parts of the West Asia, weapons in very, very large numbers of very great potency will set Israel on fire from north to south. They've got air raid shelters. I hope they get to them in time. But Israel will be on fire at dawn on Friday. If the United States and its satrapies then choose to join the war openly, they too will be at war with West Asia. Has the ring of 1984 about it, doesn't it? And the Straits of Hormuz will be closed. No oil will flow. No wheel will turn. A state of war between the United States and Iran will exist. And Iran has very powerful and determined friends. So I'm sorry to be the bearer of that exceedingly bad news. With a bit of luck, we'll get a show in on Sunday, but no one can guarantee anything after that. It's the mother of all talk shows. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Our first guest uh, of this evening needs little introduction, uh, but I'd like to say uh, that uh, he comes from uh, the camps, the refugee camps in Gaza. He rose to be the most famous journalist in the 
entire Arab world. There was a time when he was the last journalist standing in the Arab world, although that, thankfully, has changed. And now there are many, many heroic Arab journalists, particularly in Palestine. He, for a time, was called the last Arab, but he isn't that now either. There are many Arabs now, Arabs to be proud of, as I know he is. Abdelbari Atwan, welcome back to the mother of all talk shows. Uh, let's take a moment to talk about uh, the camp that we both know so well, Jabalia camp. Describe it and describe what happened to it, please. You know, Jabalia camp is one of the poorest camps in Gaza Strip. And, uh, you know, it is uh, really, really, uh, you know, uh, just uh, full of children, full of uh, mothers, full of ladies. So I was really shocked when the Israeli bombed this camp. It is very na narrow alley um, alleyways and the people are really, people are, you, in one room you will find 10 people living there or a little bit less. So it is, it is a, a torture. Uh, to be in these camps, but the people uh, are really trying to survive despite the Israeli sanction, the Israeli cage, as you mentioned it several times, uh, George. They, they try to survive at least, but they have full faith that one day they will go back to Palestine. They will go back to their towns, to their villages, uh, to their, you know, uh, 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 village, yes. Uh, so uh, in, in Palestine, real Palestine, uh, personally, I am from uh, Asdud, which is on the Mediterranean. It's now the biggest city on uh, uh, Israel, as they call it. So people are really suffering. Imagine 500 people were bombed by the Israeli. Simply, as you mentioned, George, they, they were trying to kill one man from Hamas. We don't know whether, whether this is true or not. I believe it is fabricated in order to justify this massacre. So it is not only uh, Jabalia, it is also the Nusayrat, which is another camp in the middle of Gaza, was bombed. It is also in Bridge. It is also in uh, Gaza itself, in Salah Din streets. So massacres everywhere. When, yet to be honest, I stopped uh, trying to know, to look at the television, because every time I do, there are massacres. Hospitals, imagine that. Al-Ahli Hospital were bombed by the Israeli, and about, again, 400 people were killed. Most of them were children. I couldn't look at the bodies, at the corpse of the children, which is our babies, actually, massacred by the Israeli, whether in Jabalia, whether in uh, 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 Ahli Hospitals, or anywhere in the Gaza Strip. It is death everywhere. I lost um, tens of my families there. You know, so whenever I call or I receive a call, the internet was cut off completely. But when they have five minutes, they call me and they tell me uh, uh, every time there is very, very sorry news, honestly, about death, about which, which is a disaster by all means. Why they are doing that? Where the international community? Where the free world? Where the American? 
Yemen, <clears throat> where the values of human rights, which they were lecturing us all the time, you Arabs, you don't understand, you Muslims, you don't understand. You know, we are the, the heroes of the, uh, you know, free words and the values of human rights. So, look, I'm, I'm really shocked. What happened to the West? George, what happened to the West? Why until now, after 27 days of bombardment of Gaza, which it is 350 square miles, why until now the Americans saying no ceasefire, Britain saying no ceasefire, Germany saying no ceasefire? You know what it means? It means, you know, to give the Israeli the green lights to kill, to massacre all the, of Gaza. They couldn't transfer them to Sinai in Egypt and actually clear the, the Gaza Strip completely from them. Now they want to kill them. So this is this is the story. And nobody is caring. Nobody is paying attention at all. Hospital run out of, of, of uh, medicine. You know, a, a, a cousin who is a doctor told me we actually practice operation on people and children without anesthetic simply because there is no anesthetic and poor people, poor patient crying, crying from pain. Other things, you know, the, the Israeli are telling the hospitals, no, you should clear out completely. We don't want you here. We don't want anybody here. What they are going to do with the patient people? What they are going to do with those people who are suffering, who are injured, who are actually, yeah, they have a lot of diseases. Where to go there, to, to throw them where? Have you ever seen somebody saying you have to clear the hospital from patient? The Israeli are doing it. Have you ever seen, you know, uh, the, uh, yeah, the, the, there are people or army or civilized country, the only democracy in the, in the Middle East, bombing hospital? Have you or bombing people who took refuge in the hospitals, on the schools of the UNRWA, United Nations Organization? I am really asking. I am I'm really shocked, George. Honestly, I never expected that. I never, you know, I never thought I will live to the day to see the hospital bombed, the, uh, you know, patients are thrown out of their beds. So tell me, have you, you know, we, we are maybe close, we are the same age. Have you ever heard of something like this? Well, what I never heard of was an occupier uh, which calls itself the victim. Uh, and in that, I, I share it with the great Israeli writer Gideon Levy, whose words I've just quoted. Never in history has there been an occupier that tried to portray itself as the victim. We'll come back to the West, Abdul Bari, uh, but I want to talk about the East. Uh, I want to talk about what the Eastern governments are doing. Uh, the Israelis have offered Egypt to pay off their debt, which is $20 billion, if they will take all the population of Gaza. But of course, the population of Gaza will not leave Gaza in any case to become refugees again. But it's an extraordinary offer that they made to them. Uh, the uh, Turkish government is still allowing Israel's oil supplies, 40% of Israel's oil is supplied by Turkey from Azerbaijan in a pipeline across Turkey, could be switched off at any moment. And whilst little countries in Latin America
thousands of miles away, are kicking out Israeli ambassadors, breaking <clears throat> diplomatic <clears throat> relations with Israel, Colombia, Chile, Bolivia. There are still Arab countries with Israeli ambassadors sitting in their capitals and still full political and diplomatic relations with them. So we'll come back to the West, but what about the East? To be honest, you characterize, you describe the, what's happening among these uh, rotten government in the Middle East, you know, uh, because those people are under the American domination, under the American pressure. Look at Turkey, for example, when they tried to rebel against the American, what they did to them? They destroyed their, uh, you know, currency, the, the lira there. So. The same thing happened in Egypt. When the Egyptians actually say, no, I can't do that, uh, you know, they punished them. They stopped financial aids to them. And they actually create in internal problems to depose them. But they shouldn't actually submit to this American pressure. They should uh, do as the, the South American honorable leaders there did. They said to the Israeli, you are a criminal. You are killing people. You are massacring people. We cannot have you here. Go home. That's what happened. Even stop their home. It is my home. Um, it is our, our, our Palestinian home. You know, we are there. We were kicked from there 75 years ago. We were forced to leave. So, but now there is awakening, George. There is awakening in the Arab streets on in the Arab, actually, uh, people now revolting. And I am telling you, you know, Gaza will change the map of the Middle East. Ga I mean, the, the barbaric way of treating the Gazan people, the mass massacring them, uh, ethnic cleansing them, will change the whole of the Middle East. In 1948, Israel was established on our account, and the Arab regimes uh, actually sided with the British in that time, British colonized at that time. But, and then they were military coup. I expect the same thing could be repeated. People are so angry, so frustrated. There are thousands of people actually massed on the Jordanian border with Iraq. And they want to go and storm the uh, Jordanian-Israeli borders in order to fight with the Palestinians. So the Africans, God bless them, kicked the French out of Africa and Burkina Faso and Mali and, uh, you know, so in, in Niger. So uh, simply because they could not uh, live with exploitation of their wealth to and um, uh, send it to France. The same thing will happen in the Middle East. Now people realize that these regimes like the African corrupt regimes and they should go. So I expect revolutions like what happened after 1948 Nakba. So now the Middle East is boiling. And the Israeli actually responsible for this. You know, when they signed Oslo Agreement 30 years ago on the loan of the Middle and of the White House, and the, offering the Palestinians this kind of agreement, offering the Palestinians a homeland, a state. 30 years of negotiation and no state at all, but more massacres against the Palestinians and a plan to transfer the, the to 2 million of Gazan to Sinai. Egyptian government could not take them, said, no, why shall we take 2,000 people? Why should they, why should we uproot them completely from their territories, from their Gaza? And Gaza actually is not a paradise. 
Gaza, you know, is, is a cage, as you mentioned it several times. But despite that, people would like to stay in Gaza. They don't want to leave Gaza at all. They don't want to go anywhere on Earth. And I have a cousin there, and I phoned him, and he's very intellectual. He said, listen, you know, the Israeli wanted to do two things by their bombardment. One thing is to release the hostages, as they call them, and the second thing is to destroy Hamas. So they killed more than 8,500 8, people on Gaza in order to achieve those aims. And they did not at all, did not, as you mentioned, half of them children, babies. So, and the other thing is they want to transfer the Gazan people to where? Because there are gas underneath Gaza and they want to exploit this gas. It is, it is greedy. So I believe Middle East will be changed and I wouldn't be surprised if this actually war enlarged and other people join uh, the Hamas in this war like Hezbollah, like uh, the popular uh, uh, Hashd, like for example the Yemenis and many people, Syrian. So uh, is the Israeli will be happy after that? Blinken, who is visiting the Israeli, saying, I am not visiting Israel as a, you know, a, a foreign minister of the United States. I am, foreign, I am visiting Israel as a Jew. Imagine that. You're supposed to be, you're supposed to be the American foreign minister. You're supposed to be belonging to a, a modern country, a free country. Why did you uh, characterize it as a sectarian job for you? Let us live together without saying this is Jew, this is Muslim, this is Christian. And there is a chance to, if we, uh, you know, apply the international legality, but never. Finally, I would like to say this in this uh, part. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked to see that in, in Western world, Western countries, I mean, government saying that the Israeli has the right of defense, to defend themselves. To defense yourself, it was translated and supported by this government in Europe and the United States, it was translated to commit massacres, to commit ethnic cleansing. So well, this is self-defense to kill children. What did the children do to the Israelis? Did they kill the Israelis? You know, the babies killed the Israelis and other things. Did you give the, Amer the German Nazi the right of self-defense, for example, when they occupied France and occupied other European countries? Tell me, so why usually, why don't you give the Palestinian the right of self-defense? Why you don't help them? Why you didn't, don't help those civilians? Why the AIDS, I mean, human AIDS, was delayed for more than three weeks before it's reached Gaza and reached the people, people? Honestly, George, I'm telling you, wallah, there is no water. Wallah, there is no water. There is no food. There is no medicine. Nothing in Gaza. And they are talking about human rights and they are talking about dignity and they are talking about justice. Abdul Bari Atwan, thanks as always. I fear we'll have to be talking again in the very near future. Abdul Bari Atwan, the most famous of all Arab journalists. You can feel his pain, I think, in that interview. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Larry Johnson, ex-CIA operative, 
at an undetermined, indeterminate level, but I figure it was something serious. And in the Pentagon and in the U.S. government has learned a thing or two about international politics and security. And therefore, he knows that if my prediction of Friday at dawn is correct, we are in for one hell of a shooting match. And I'm very glad he's agreed to share his wisdom and experience with us. Larry, welcome uh, back to the mother of all talk shows, an honored guest uh, over uh, many, many uh, years now. Um, let's have as a hypothesis that I'm right, that the Hezbollah enter the war at dawn on Friday if Israel has not ceased fire. What happens right. next? First, let me thank you for your generous comments, my friend. It is uh, always an honor to be with you. Uh, yeah, I listen, I wake up with a pit in my stomach every morning, just waiting for the world to catch on fire. Um, this is, uh, I don't know if you recall that movie about a hurricane. It was called The Perfect Storm, where two or three hurricanes yeah. all came together and just created a horrific situation that killed people. Uh, th that's what I think we're about to experience. Because we have never in this entire 75 years of uh, Israel's existence experienced anything like what we're seeing now, where the growing unity in both the Arab and Muslim world, and even outside of the Arab and Muslim world, increased horror in terms of the reaction to the Israelis just wantonly killing women and children without any regard. Um, and, and and then it's compounded by American politicians who are insisting that anybody who's in in Palestine in Gaza is a Nazi, is the equivalent of a Nazi and should be killed. Uh, and so I'm in fact I'm planning to write later tonight um, an article that will expose this member of Congress who said that because he's also supporting Ukraine where there actually are real Nazis. You know, think about that. Just yeah. the absurdity of it. Yeah. So uh, Hezbollah's ability is, is, I think, greatly underestimated by many in the world. Uh, you know, they keep saying Hezbollah is sort of on the dole with Iran, and that's just nonsense. That was the case through the 1980s into the mid-1990s. But then Hezbollah sort of stood up on its own and began... Uh, building infrastructure, became a political party, became a social welfare agency, became essentially a government, and created a, a very stout military force. And it was in 2006 that Israel discovered, much to its chagrin, uh, where they invaded southern Lebanon, and Hezbollah just chewed them up. Uh, and Israel essentially lost that engagement with Hezbollah. Now, here we are, of, you know, uh, 16, 17 years later, Hezbollah stronger now, better equipped, better trained. And uh, Israel, I you know, should be praying uh, to God that Hezbollah does not enter the fray. But I think I think you're right that if this killing of the civilians does not stop, then it, the Muslims, Shia and Sunni alike, are going to feel compelled to rise up in their defense. And, of course, uh, 
Hezbollah is an independent force, but uh, if the United States, off its aircraft carriers, begin bombing Hezbollah and bombing Lebanon, <laughs> yeah. other people are then going to join in quite quickly, aren't they? Well, yes, and you know, it's date is uh we had a baseball player by the name of Yogi Berra, and he always said something like, "It's deja vu all over again." So, uh, <laughs> you know, the Americans have forgotten what happened in 1983 when Ronald Reagan put battleships off the coast of Lebanon, and we th and decided it was going to be a good idea to shell uh, Hezbollah positions in the Bakaa Valley. Well, what happened? Hezbollah punched back through the uh, skill of Imad Mugnia, blew up a Marine barracks, killing over 250 Marines. And then a few months later, four or five months later, in October, uh, blew up the U.S. Embassy in Beirut. Uh, you know, what was it about that that we didn't learn? If we're going to start throwing shells at Hezbollah, Hezbollah is not going to curl up in a fetal position and start whimpering like some beaten dog. They're going to fight back, and they're going to hurt the United States. They will kill diplomats. They will kill military personnel. They will hit infrastructure. And, you know, they're not doing it because they hate our freedom. They're doing it because we struck the first blow. The uh, United States has, for bizarre reasons, uh, illogical uh, set of decisions, uh, forces all over the Middle East who are as isolated as any Benghazi uh, embassy ever was. The U.S. forces mm -hmm. in Iraq, for example, are at the mercy of a horde of millions. Uh, the right. U.S. base uh, in Syria at the oil fields is completely at the mercy of whomsoever yes. uh, decides to attack it. American soldiers are in harm's way right now. Do the American people know it? Have they have they agreed oh. to it? No, absolutely. That's you know that's one of the big lies that's going on back here. Uh, I, I checked in with a buddy of mine who's still uh, in the military in the intelligence business. And I said, "Hey, are things getting better or worse?" And he said this this morning. He said, "Worse. Every U.S. base in Iraq, in Syria." and some down into Eritrea in the Horn of Africa are getting shelled and shelled consistently, hit with drones, and they may get hit with bigger missiles. So uh, it's likely that the United States has taken casualties and they're not reporting it, just like Israel has been reluctant to report its casualties from its ground invasion. Uh, so Americans just, you know, we, we, we like to watch these televised wars where we get to see the explosions and the and listen to the, the sounds, but we don't actually have to experience the horror of it firsthand. And that only starts becoming, sinking in when the bodies start coming back. And then you have to deal with grieving relatives. But uh, it is, it's it's one thing, they, they're they not paying attention. And the, uh, the Iran has a lot of room. You know, Iran has been hit. America has attacked Iranian interests. Uh, and Iran has good motive, ample motive to want to strike back. And I think they've been sort of biding their time. That's why I think, as you you know correctly note, Friday, Friday could be a very pivotal time, uh, depending upon what Nasrallah, uh, the head of Hezbollah, has to say. 
the uh, United States Delta Force, we know because crazy Joe Biden took a picture of himself <laughs> with them yeah. and published it. The United States Delta Force is in Israel. There are many who say, uh, I can't confirm it myself, maybe you can or not, uh, the Delta Force is in Gaza, certainly at the fence, if not inside the Strip. Why would the U.S. get directly involved in a conflict such as this? So that's that's the area I used to work with, and I actually worked with those uh, particular units over a 23-year period. So they are they are called into a, there's a, a a war plan, if you will, a plan for responding to the capture of hostages. So uh, the Delta, Delta Force, at a minimum, would be there to consult, provide advice uh, to the Israelis. Uh, it's unlikely that they would get involved with a direct assault on any particular location unless they had confirmed intelligence that there was, in fact, an American hostage there. So that is their mission. Um, now, it is, we're not seeing the flow of what I'd call conventional forces, uh, this, this, at this point, it appears from what I've been able to see in public, uh, to, confined to the special operations community. Uh, it also could potentially include the SEALs. But uh, as you correctly noted, uh, you know, Biden had a happy, happy uh, snap photo with a couple of members of Delta Force standing there, and then they tried to block out their faces. So uh, there was... There was word circulating through Doug McGregor said he had been told that some members of uh, Delta had accompanied the Israelis on an initial reconnaissance mission uh, last week and that there were there were casualties from that. And that very well could be like a bad movie uh, script. Um, hmm. The yeah. the uh, the situation, uh, of course, of the aircraft carriers now. I, I genuinely don't want to see your aircraft carrier sunk because a lot of poor sailors would lose their lives. But aircraft carriers are very last century things, Larry. They are yeah. actually <laughs> yeah. the perfect target. They are the perfect target. Now, I don't know the capability of Hezbollah, but I'm going to take a wild guess from past experience that Hezbollah could could put a missile down the chimney of one of your aircraft carriers with absolutely catastrophic results. Are they thinking this through yeah. properly in the Pentagon? Oh, heavens no. <laughs> absolutely not. You know, as you correctly note that the aircraft carrier today is like the horse cavalry at the start of World War II. You know, they learned in World War One that the horse cavalry was no longer relevant, but they kept it around for another 20 years because it was a jobs program and they had it in the budget. And, and lo and behold, here we've got these aircraft carriers now, which are the these ex most expensive piece of military equipment ever created. And it takes years to build and it has absolutely zero defense against hypersonic missiles that we know that Russia has them, we know that China has them, and it's rumored that Iran has them. And if they launch those, those ships, they're done. And, and I think that's one of the real risks in the coming you know, next couple of weeks, that this could get out of hand, that um, as it expands beyond 
just Hamas, uh, to the Palestine Islamic Jihad, the Pidge, uh, to Hezbollah, uh, to other groups in the region, that they could decide to target those ships. And if they take all, all they got to do is take one down. They take one down. America is going to be faced with some terrible options. Now, there's a group uh, that you didn't mention uh, that says they've already fired uh, missiles, uh, this Ansar Allah, the Houthis in Yemen. The Houthis, uh, One yeah. can assume that they have uh, the missiles they talked of. They said they fired them. I've seen no report of them landing anywhere. Do you think the Yemenis right. are also a factor in this? Uh, they're a minimal factor. They're more of a distraction for both Israel and the United States. Uh, but um, they, you know, the war that was going on in between the Houthis and the, the government in, in, in Yemen was, you know, a proxy war between Saudi Arabia and Iran. China came in, settled that war between them, made them buddies again, got them on the same diplomatic page. But it's still possible that Iran could, you know, if threatened or if having been hit and deciding to retaliate, could, you know, use the, the Houthi positions in Yemen as another you know, launch pad to go after Israel. So up, up to this point, Iran has not inserted itself in the, to the, into the conflict. And I think that's been because both China and Russia have canceled constraint. But with with all the bellicose threats coming out of uh, both Israel and the United States demanding an attack on Iran. Uh, you know, imagine how you would react in the UK or, you know, my fellow citizens would react in the United States if if they heard day after day cries from Iran to attack America. We must attack America and destroy America. When we say, oh, they're just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the Iranians know that uh, there's no kidding involved. Um, that's the big enchilada, Larry, isn't it? Uh, yeah. A war with Iran, which is itself militarily very powerful uh, and which has quite unprecedented statement China made last week, appearing to be a guarantor of Iran's national sovereignty, independence, interests, and so on. That's when it could go global, mm -hmm. isn't it? If America attacks Iran, yeah. what if China uh, attacks the rest of us in defense of Iran and takes Taiwan as a bonus? In fact, you know, let's go back to starting in 2017, Iran began coordinating with China and Russia on conducting joint military exercises, joint naval exercises. The first one took place in February of 2019. The reason I say it started in 2017, I, I know from my own experience that when we do these kinds of military exercises, the planning for it, what they call planning conference, starts at least 18 months out. So that, you know, they don't just wake up one morning and go, hey, let's let's get a bunch of ships together and sail around. So over the last four years, since 2019, Iran has had Russia and China exercising alongside it. And I think you put your finger exactly on the heart of the matter. 
China and Russia have given assurances to Iran saying, okay, look, be patient. Don't escalate this too quick. But if they attack you, we will have your back. We will support you. And unlike promises from the United States where, you know, if the U.S. tells you that they've got your back, you better be alarmed. <laughs> you might be sexually assaulted. But but I, when with Russia, when Russia and China tell you this, I, those are promises you can count on. And that is that's where this is headed, because Nikki Haley, one of the aspiring candidates for the Republican nomination, she was saying, we got we got to hit hit Iran. I mean, and Lindsey Graham, Senator Richard Blumenthal on the Democrat side. It It is bipartisan craziness over here in the, the land of the free, home of the brave. It's just it's nuts. Thank you for your wise counsel. As always, Larry Johnson, a really treasured guest on the mother of all. Thanks, my friend. Let's see how the poll is going. 25,000 people have voted uh, and 2% on Telegram uh, say that the Israeli bombing of the refugee camp was justified. 8% on Twitter say so and 8% on the YouTube community poll say so. Meaning that 98, 92 and 92% of the votes cast say it is simply un justified. Quick break, then it's your show all the way to the end. Stay tuned. You have to remember back in 2002, 2003, there was a wish by George Bush for regime change. That's what was driving him. Nothing to do with weapons of mass destruction, which of course didn't exist in Iraq. So they had to construct some sort of formula, some sort of cover story, in order to persuade the British public that intervention in Iraq was right. Now, David Kelly, uh, as an expert in weapons of mass destruction, knew that uh, this was untrue. He knew that there were probably no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. That was a guy that could have brought down, that was a guy that could have brought down the whole system. I reckon you're chaff. You've been thrown up to divert uh, our probing. The Foreign Affairs Select Committee, that um, parliamentarian briefing, I think that was an indignity to him. We saw it on the news, and my very first thought was shock. Um, oh, my God, you know, this man is in the eye of the media hurricane. Uh, he should be protected by that, at least. You've got to let down your hands, Prime Minister. Are you going to resign over this? I don't know the details of how Lord Hutton happened to be selected, but what was certainly the case is that he was the right kind of judge to use from the point of view of Downing Street and the intelligence services as well. Of the 21 days of hearing, only one half of one day was spent on discussing the forensic aspects. That is disgusting. We were given the Hutton report the day before it was published, but actually what happened was he went too far. The events of 2003 were disgraceful ones in this country's history, and it's unfinished business. Those responsible for an illegal war, those responsible for the death of David Kelly, have not been brought to justice. There's been no inquest into David Kelly's death. There needs to be one. We need to make sure that those who behaved in a reprehensible way in 2003 are finally brought to book. 
So if you become a patron, which will cost you less than the price of a cup of tea in a down market cafe per week, you get free my Killing Kelly film and free my Killings of Tony Blair. Two great films, if I say so myself. Uh, and they come free, gratis, when you join me on patreon.com forward slash George Galloway. Come on, you can afford the price of a cup of tea to support the work I'm doing. Uh, some comments from my patrons. Tim says, uh, Tim's a new patron. Perfect lesson in how to greatly improve Hamas recruitment. What does Israel think all those affected by the death and destruction raining down on them will do? Be nice and move on or perhaps just seek retribution. Very, very good point, Tim. Uh, another new patron is Noz. Uh, can't see Noz's... Uh, yeah, here we are. What we know in this case is a clear-cut apartheid regime operating at will and massacring at will. And there's a cherry on their rotten cake smearing the innocent lives with total lies about them being terrorists. Very, very well said. Slaughtered and then slandered. John C. is a Moat graduate. That's the higher level uh, of patron. Thanks, John. This action is not justified, but pure evil. Words fail me that the USA and the West stand by and let the murder of innocent Palestinian men, women, and children be carried out in the name of revenge, because that is what it is. And a Moat's legend, the highest level you can get, Ag uh, Angus Thompson, says none of this can be justified. And I think this shows all of us what kind of leadership we have in the West. Do you think any of these morons acting as politicians in the West will keep their positions if we make it to the end of this conflict? Well, I hope not, Angus. None of them deserve to. That is for sure. Uh, so please look for me on patreon.com forward slash George Galloway. Give me your support, please. Let's go to the next call then in Melbourne, Australia. Sylvie is on the line. Go ahead, Sylvie. Well, hello, George. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, look, I'm, it's a short call, just asking and urging people to go to protests. If there's a protest from your town, in your city, be there, show up, bums on seats. This is what should be happening everywhere. We see huge protests on TV, but not enough, not enough people. There should be more. I go every Sunday to a protest outside uh, the library in Melbourne. It's a real effort for me, but I'm there. And I just like to see more and more people there. I have friends who say, oh, don't go, it doesn't help, you're powerless. Not true. If there is no other reason to go, you should be there to show the Palestinian people that we know, we care, we support you, we are on your side. I have been stopped in the streets, in the supermarket, by people who have no need to be humble, but who humbly say to me, thank you so much for caring. So all I really want to say now is go, be there, show the government that what, what we really think and that we're not going to take this crap any longer. That's it, George. How beautiful, Sylvie. Sylvie, uh, um, 
I'm overcome. Uh, I know you should never ask a woman her age, but uh, are you an elderly lady? George, I'm 78, and I've got a serious breathing problem. I'm a poor old wreck, and I have to stand on my feet for over an hour listening to speeches, and I do it because I care. It keeps me awake at night. I'm, I get up at 3 or 4 in the morning to see what's happening. I'm on Twitter all the time. And if I can do it, I watch these idiots on the tram with their stupid phones. I don't know what the hell they're doing, but they're not doing anything that I want to do. If I can get on the Internet, if I can find out what's going on in the world, if I can have in my heart at least to think, God, if only I could do something. There are... Tens of thousands of people out there wasting their time. That's it. Sylvie, Sylvie, you're an Australian hero uh, and we'll never forget you. We'll never forget that call. A force of nature. Email from Derek. I think we could have an Australian Norma. I think you're right. Sylvie, if you're listening, you have just been designated our Australian legend. Sylvie in Melbourne. That means you get open access to this show every time you call up. George is in Carlisle, also on Palestine. Go ahead, George. Good evening, George. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I wanted to pose to you three, three questions in moral philosophy, if I might. Um, can you hear me okay? I can. I'm just, uh, I'm just uh, daunted by uh, the three questions in moral philosophy. Well, Do bear in mind I'm a graduate of the, I'm a graduate of the Michelin uh, School of Making Tires rather than one of our great universities. But I'll do my best, go on. Don't give me that. Um, right, question one, these are hypothetical of course in case Mr. Claude is listening and I know he does. Question one, I attack you in the street <laughs> and a fight ensues and you injured, um, uh, 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 I injure you and you injure me. In court, can I say that I was acting in self-defense? Question two, I'm an SS officer and I'm at the Warsaw Ghetto and I'm putting down the uprising. At the uh, Nuremberg Tribunal, can I claim I was acting in self-defense? Um, question three, I'm a sex trafficker. And unfortunately, uh, some of the women I'm trafficking break out and attack me. And I, in turn, resist and injure them. Can I claim self-defense? Well, I put my hand up, George. I put my hand up because uh, as a moral philosopher, you have encapsulated absolutely brilliantly the dilemma that we are now in. I myself tried to do it earlier in the show by pointing out the um, uncontradictable legal position that an occupier does not have the right of self-defense vis-a-vis the person whose land he's occupied. Whether the occupier uh, wears a Nazi armband or wears an Israeli armband is immaterial. If I seize your property and you fight against me doing so, I cannot claim any legal rights because it is I 
who is the thief, the aggressor. It's I who invaded you, and you have a legal right to fight me, but I don't have a legal right to fight you. George, last word to you. Um, I, I was going to say, it's even worse than that, because as the occupying power, they have a duty to protect the Palestinians. Yes, and, yes you're uh, right. You know, burying pregnant women under tons of rubble, ripping the limbs off children, that's not protecting them. That's the exact opposite of protecting them. Can I make one final quick point, George, just on, on, um, yes. on, on, on shields, human shields? Because we hear a lot about this. I've got in front of me Amnesty International's report on Operation Cast Lead when Israel killed 3,000 Palestinians in 22 days. And that report from Amnesty says that Hamas did not use the civilians as human shields. However, it goes on to say that the group that did use human shields was, in fact, the Israeli army. They forced children to walk beside tanks. They forced them to probe in rubble looking for unexploded devices. They made them walk in front of the soldiers, putting, putting their weapons on the, on the children's shoulders. So let's have no more of this talk of Hamas and human shields, because the Amnesty report, and you can download it for free on the internet, shows that it's actually Israel that does that. Well, uh, I'm, I'm uh, agog at the quality of calls that we're receiving on the show this evening, and yours was simply perfect, as others have been. Uh, a state of war now exists between Britain, the British government, and the British so-called opposition, and Amnesty International. Who'd have thunk it? All these Labour MPs that when they were climbing the tree to try and become a Labour MP were undoubtedly to be seen with an Amnesty International badge or clutching the latest Amnesty International report or quoting it in their speeches, are now in a state of war with Amnesty International, which is telling them that they are supporting criminal genocide. And the Labour MPs simply turn away. Not even going to waste time on the Conservative MPs, or waste words, uh, rather. A state of war exists against Human Rights Watch. Who'd have thunk it? A state of war exists against anybody who is standing up for international law, the supremacy of the United Nations and its charter, the Geneva Conventions, the rules of war, the rules governing the responsibility of an occupying government towards the civilian population it occupies, and so on. A state of war against truth now exists in our country, George, and in many other countries. You can be criminalized and punished for speaking the truth now. My God, what a world we've reached. Uh, an email from Victor. George, I'm in Yemen right now. We are expecting the worst of responses after the recent attacks from here. What do you think could be the response? I think it'll be overtaken by events, Victor. But uh, keep your head down. Last caller. 
G is in Leeds on Palestine. G, welcome to the show. Uh, good evening, uh, George. Thank you uh, for having me on again. Uh, but I'd like to put a suggestion to you, uh, which I thought which came to my head. What if we have a, a peaceful uh, a day of action, not a day of action strike, where nobody goes to work, and uh, we just saw solidarity with all the people dying in Gaza, and, um, and that that sent a clear message to the top brass, like Rishi uh, Sunak and Joe Biden, that really have to touch with people's uh, thinking and, and uh, where people are feeling about this conflict. And what would you think about that suggestion? Well, uh, God bless it uh, in its intention. Uh, I wish that it was achievable. I doubt if we have reached the level of consciousness amongst the membership uh, that would make such a stoppage of work successful. I know that we don't have trade union leaders except with one or two exceptions, with the guts to fight for such an outcome. Such an outcome would once have been the automatic instinct of the British trade union movement, the, uh, the uh, strike action that was taken to stop the loading of weapons to support the white armies in the Russian Civil War, uh, the action taken by the engineering workers in East Kilbride at Rolls-Royce uh, to seize uh, jet engines destined for the uh, Chilean military junta, fascist uh, junta. Uh, these, would norm these would be normal instincts. But I think that British trade unionism has sunk a long way and will have to be rebuilt uh, in a very considerable way, uh, which will not be done overnight. But it isn't impossible because this very day, uh, the dockers in Belgium have refused to handle, to load military supplies going from Belgium to the state of Israel. There you had a trade union leadership that had guts and backbone and guile and brains, which won the support of a membership that knows a thing or two about being bombarded. A membership in a country that knows a thing or two about occupation, that knows a thing or two about panzers, crashing through your border, crushing and killing your people, and the jackboot of fascist dictatorship, then stamping out all freedom and liberty. That's what the Belgian people have. That's why the Belgian workers responded. It's why the Belgian trade union leaders fought for it. It's why there's no weapons leaving Belgium for Israel whether the government of Belgium likes it or not. I salute them, every last one of them. And thank you, G, for raising the issue, which is properly raised. And I'm only sorry I'm not able to give a more optimistic reply. That's all I've got time for. 
I hope you think that the show was worthwhile. I won't ask you if you enjoyed it. It's difficult to enjoy matters of the seriousness that we are now facing. If war breaks out on Friday at dawn, as I have predicted, then we will have a show on Sunday at the earlier time of 7 p.m. London time, the mothership, the Sunday mother of all talk shows. But the open question is how many other shows we'll be able to have thereafter and how many other people will still be around to listen to it. Thanks for joining me. Uh, bring someone, if you will, on Sunday so that we can boost this audience millions strong but continually subject to algorithmic suppression even strangulation I need you to be my voice to others good night